0: We have quite a passage this morning. To say uh, that there's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in this would maybe be an overstatement. Surely a lot of tears. But I hope this morning that we would all see and experience an amazing thing. That is, that we would understand what it is to praise God. In less than five weeks from today, we will see a major shift in our country. It will be centered in major metro areas, primarily those with college campuses at the center. And it won't look the same, but it'll be, it will outbreak both on, to homes on your street and on mine. It will overload infrastructure. It will bring people together. It will keep some apart. It will impact businesses across the country, both stimulating their revenues and limiting productivity. There's nothing new about this that's coming. But with 2020 behind us, it will no doubt come with more intensity than many of us have ever seen in our lifetimes. In case you're unsure, of course, I'm talking about the start of college football. It's true, though. It's true because when we see things like college football starting, we see this buzz that takes place among fans. We see how businesses shift into whole new seasons in the economic year. We see revenue spike. We see people all of a sudden pulling out shirts that they haven't worn all year and somehow coming together and finding the same restaurants, the same places, and all for this sport. And it doesn't just have to be college football, right? It it can be anything. I think we just, in the last several weeks, have experienced this with all the influx of amazing Phoenix Suns fans that just came out of nowhere. We all know this, right? That is, you see, we are a people that love to be fans. And as fans, we don't just celebrate what we love, what we like. We associate ourselves with it. For many of us, it even becomes part of Id- our identity. Now I know you're probably thinking, not me, that's, I don't like any of those things. So let me, let me tell you who don't understand from my experience what this looks like. You see, for many years I have been, uh, it's been pointed out to me that I like to talk about my favorite teams in the first person plural, we. Did you see this, this awesome play we just scored on? Did you see what we did yesterday? really what exactly did we do we didn't do anything right we don't need to be told what praise is it comes easily what we do need help with though is understanding that our praise for god should not be limited to this place for 30 minutes once a week far more than sports or music or movies or whatever it is that you grab onto, it is meant to be all-encompassing, disruptive to normal life. It's meant to distract you at work. It's meant to change your thinking in conflict. It's meant to form our identity. Our passage this morning in Psalm 111 is calling us to be overtaken with praise. It's aiming for us to baste in the goodness of our God and see everything else, everything else, as secondary. To have it overrun our day so that His praise hums in our minds and our bones. So it impacts our decisions, our conversations, our driving, our business how we put socks on two year olds and how you face another day unrested and overworked that probably doesn't apply to anybody in here does it and my favorite expression is by John Piper where he says how you drink orange juice to the glory of God I don't know about you but I need this more than ever I need this because when I, the countless times I've walked into this room and the music has started playing, and I got so much stuff on my back, so much stuff on my heart, and I just, it's a lot of work just to get ready to praise. So I need this. I hope you need it too. If you have your Bible, please open it to Psalm 111. The scripture reads. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All of His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Please pray with me. It is a good thing, Lord, that we read your word and not our own speculation. Lord, so I pray now, or in the way that only you can do, you would change us in hearing it. Lord, I pray that you would divide bone and marrow in hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that the sharpness of Your Word would pierce us all. And I pray, Lord God, this venture, this this task, Lord, to praise You as we ought to, Lord, would be absolutely by Your power and Your grace. Lord, we need You. Please change us. Please change us, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're like me, when you hear this opening refrain to praise the Lord, you think, Yeah, sure, okay, that's good, right? Because that's kind of what we say. When your car starts, praise the Lord, right? When you get that thing in the mail that you've been waiting for, and it's a little bit more than you thought, praise the Lord. There are all sorts of things that we throw out this phrase, praise the Lord. But it's sort of become this, like, affirmative statement, right? This idea of, I'm happy, this is good, great. But how come it is inappropriate when someone says, my car won't start, praise the Lord, Why is it that when that check doesn't come, or it does, and it's far less than you expected, we don't say, praise the Lord? That is because we have taken this term and we have changed it. It no longer serves the purpose of what we see in the text here because none of those things is what the psalmist has in mind. This is a call to worship. This is the psalmist telling the people All of us saying, all of you, you, everyone, praise the Lord. Position yourself to see and to praise Him. And so this morning, when we read this text, we are hearing the call of the text. We are hearing the call of Scripture, calling you, calling me, to praise Him. To give God all of His praise. And it is good that we would hear this because we don't often, just like we don't understand, we we misuse the term very often, we don't often understand what true praise really is. We don't. And I think the text is going to help us. It's going to show us at least in three ways that true praise is going to impact our lives. In in verse 1, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the r- upright in the congregation. The first of these things is true praise is wholehearted and shared. True praise is wholehearted and shared. When we consider the call to praise, we are confronted with true what true praise really looks like. He doesn't just tell us to do it, he shows us. In his demonstration, we see that true praise is rooted in thanks and which comes from the whole heart. That is, it's not divided. We know what a divided heart looks like, right? We know it too well. The dangers of doing something with our heart when it's somewhere else, it's like trying to collect water with a fishing net. Anybody have success with that here? It's absolutely foolish. We know what it's like. Ask my wife. This is a great example. If you ask her what it is to have half of my attention when she's trying to talk to me, right? It's unproductive, sure. But what does it communicate? Being half there, half attentive, communicates a lack of care. It communicates a lack of attentiveness, a lack of attention. If we are to truly praise the Lord, we have to clear some real estate in our hearts. We have to look at what it is that we're hanging on to that's keeping us from giving all of ourselves, all of our heart to the Lord in praise. Do you know what it is? Clear it out. Give it to the Lord. Ask Him to show you. Lord, we want to give you our whole heart. He often does this, though, He he explodes these things open when we're around others who are also praising Him. When we're around each other, we see those areas of the heart more clearly. And I don't really understand how it works that way, but it certainly does, right? All through Scripture, men and women are called to respond to God, and it's always in community. You cannot find anywhere in the Scripture where we are not called to praise and to have relationship with the Lord outside of community outside of the community of His people. It's not there. There's always something incredible that happens in that fellowship. The Lord encourages His people. It's like our praise somehow is multiplied when it's shared. Something happens when we see and rejoice in the Lord together, one another. It's like after the game. The work can be busy. You're at the office. The game's happened. Everybody's seen it. And there's this little moment that takes place at the water cooler when all the stuff you don't have in common with your other people that are working with you kind of just falls away. You're at the water cooler, and what's in common at that moment for us is Jesus. You see, when we're together, all the other stuff falls off. And you see that. You see where your heart is not completely devoted because it becomes so apparent when we're with, te- with each other. And this is how praise works, right? In that gathering, we see this combustion of joy that can't be contained. You see it every week as we praise together. It produces singing, sure, but it also tear- it, it, it causes tears of joy. It warms our soul. It softens our heart. It exposes vulnerability. It does something almost, almost nothing else can do. It pulls our eyes off of everything else and it focuses it on Him, on the Lord. That cannot happen half-hearted. That requires a whole heart and that requires a community to share it with. In verses 2-4, through we hear, Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor, and majesty is his work. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Our second point today, true praise is holy, and I will add only, grounded in the Lord. True praise is holy, grounded in the Lord. I wrestled really, I, I, I wrestled a lot with that because we praise other things, Right? And it's not a sin to praise anything outside of the Lord. But what we will find is the, how the Lord directs that will be the key. How the Lord directs that. Said another way, there is no piece or segment of our praise that does not start from and end with the Lord Himself. He is the initiator and recipient of all we offer in true praise. The author shows that in the unpacking of all that the Lord has done in this text. He shows us that, that what he has done is not the end of it. What he has done is made to point us to who he is. He is putting all of his deeds to work. All of the many things to go on all, that go on all around us all the time. The many things that we take for granted all around us like screaming glory all the time and we just we miss it everywhere right when's the last time you woke up and the sun didn't rise or the last time you woke up and your lungs weren't functioning that happens i get it right but for most of us it works or the way even now as your respiratory system and your pulmonary system and everything is doing as it ought the author of hebrews put it very clearly The Lord holds all things together by the word of His power. And these things are happening around us all the time. And they are meant to do a job. They are meant to cause us to see and to revel in all that He is in His glory, in His beauty. For us to rejoice in them, to study them, is for us to be able to see they all point to the Lord. They are meant to take us there To lay us at his feet and to observe all of the ways that he cares for us. Yes, but we see even more who it is that cares for us. Their end is to glorify them. Glorify him. The Lord is righteous and he always will be. The works of him show this because it will never be stopped it's amazing to think that we can look at the works of the Lord in the text and see that the righteousness of the Lord will never end. He will never be corrupted. He will not be persuaded to abandon what is right. His righteousness endures forever. When I think about my deeds and what it says, it says Jeff Palin has the righteousness of a doorknob. That's what it tells us. But we look at what the Lord does and it unpacks endless Endless understanding of who he is and what it tells us about how he is always upright in everything he does. Our works don't do that. His works do. His works do those things. They serve him. When we see and think of all the Lord has done, it is as if one consistent note through all time and in all things. The Lord is righteous. Do you see how this is important? How good it is to know when the heat of life is in your face that the Lord is righteous and he always will be? That matters. You need that. You need that all the time to know that his righteousness can be counted on. It will get you through many, many things. Many things to know and to be able to count on this. His deeds also demonstrate his grace. He never lets us forget how he has rescued us. The text says that he reminds us of his wondrous works. This term, wondrous works, is not like the previous. But the previous were given this reference, this idea of the things that are humming and buzzing all around us all the time. But His Wondrous Works, those are those incredible moments when you really question what is and what is not possible. You know what I'm talking about, right? These radical interventions of God. Things like parting the Red Sea or delivering the people into the land, walking on water, healing the sick, Raising the dead. These unmatched moments where God reminds all of history that everything does His bidding. Everything. And He answers to no one. Not to death, not to sickness, not to illness, not to waters, not to Pharaoh, and not to anything. It seems odd the author would have to tell us to be that we need to be reminded of this, but I think there's something else going on here. For the people of Israel, every year during the Passover, they would remember how they were delivered from slavery into their own land. That is because the Lord instructed them to. Namely, He wanted them to see through the Passover meal, His grace, His goodness to the people to rescue them, not after they had performed obedience in the law. But before any of that, he demonstrates to him that he is righteous and he is gracious, even though they brought nothing to the table. Is this ringing any bells? For their own good, they would know the Lord. And for his glory, he would bring them out of Egypt. So he helps us to remember. He reminds us so that we would not forget the wonderful delivery of the Lord. I want to take a moment and to consider how verses 2 and 4 work with with, uh, the way the Lord demonstrates His works. Do we praise the Lord because of what the Lord does for us in all of His amazing works, or do we praise Him because of who He is? Like we mentioned briefly earlier, it's, there's nothing wrong with having praise. And there's nothing wrong for celebrating and being fans. But there is a wrong way to do those things. I believe what's being shown here is that all of the works of the Lord, all that we are blessed with, they do drum thankfulness up in us. They bring it up in us. But only after we understand who it is that brings them to us. Do you see? If I tried to do this for you, you would be, if any time I gave you something, you automatically would think, just like me, maybe you're not as cynical, I guess, maybe, but someone gives me something, I'm automatically thinking, okay, what do I have to do in return? God is not doing this in reciprocity. He is showing that who He is is good. And in His goodness, He delivers and gives to His people in grace. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing the people could do to repay Him. So what do we do with this? When we give praise, when we give worship in our thanksgiving, it is always and must always be rooted in who God is. We sing the cross and the cross is amazing. But if the cross was performed by anybody but the Lord Himself, it falls flat on its face. It's amazing to know that it is the Lord Himself that we praise. You know, I think about this. And it's, it's, it's such a healthy reminder for us to stop and to think why it is that we're happy when, we, when something like this happens. To think about that and to wonder, there's nobody that could give us this gift. There's nobody that could deliver us. There's no one that could hand over the multitude of blessings than the Lord. It just wouldn't mean the same thing. And the psalmist here is demonstrating to us over and over and over again that the things that the Lord does is meant to show that He is magnificent and beautiful and glorious and righteous and gracious. And all these things are meant to point us to Him so that we do one thing. We praise. We praise. We praise Him for who He is. No matter what we receive, knowing that we receive liberally and yet we praise him he is worthy of our praise he is worthy of all of our praise and there is nothing that we can do to repay him and anything that we do ought to be should be please be out of thankfulness and gratitude for who he is and never never with the mindset that i owe you to i owe this to you Let that take hold of you. Because if you're like me, that's always going to be like a dog nipping at your heel. There's nothing we can do. Jesus is lavishing His love on us not because of who we should be, right? He loves us because of who we are right now. Because He was who we should be. Do you see this? Praise the Lord. I think about how patient he is with us. If you if you spend any time in the Old Testament, uh, you see this patience. The prophets, this, I, I, you know, you do this thing with your kids, right? One, two, you know, don't let me get to three, right? He invented that. That's what the prophets are doing. They're going to the people and saying, "Repent, repent." Repent, repent, repent. Year after year, king after king. Your brother just got it. Your brother in the north just got whopped on the head. You think I won't do it to you too? Over and over and over. This is him. He is so slow to anger. And as we see in the text, sometimes it takes wrath to show the people who he is but if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have verses like number 9. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. I find this verse particularly difficult for a number of reasons, but... When you read the text, you get this vibe like the the author is recounting the Exodus story. You see how he fed the people in the wilderness, right? That's called out here. You see the the wondrous works that he performs. The giving of the people into the land held by the nations. All of those things coming up to this verse 9 that says he delivers redemption, right? That's not how the story goes. If it's the exodus, he's not, it goes the other way. He redeems them out of Egypt and then into those things, right? But maybe this is there because that's not what it's talking about. That's probably what it is. Just going to throw that out there. Instead, you see, after all of those things, the people, after they had experienced all the good deeds, all the amazing things, and the Lord has over and over and over again to the people and amongst the nations shown his character, they rebelled. And that wrath we talked about, it shows up. But verse 9 tells us that's not the end of the story, right? It tells us there's something else that's coming. And if you look, I believe that is casted to us to see in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 is something that is written, taking place. As Jerusalem, the last of the people, are being carried off into exile. And it says this, Therefore, says say to the house of israel thus says the lord god it is not for your sake o house of israel that i'm about to act but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came and i will vindicate the holiness of my name which which has been profaned among the nations and which you profaned among them and the nations will know that i am the lord declares the lord god when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver, deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine on you. And I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations." Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourself for your iniquity and your abominations. It is not for your sake I will act, declares the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. The Lord sends redemption to his people for his name's sake. He rescues his people. If you've not seen it yet, this is our story. This is our story. Yes, we're reading about the people of Israel, but we, we have been brought in by the true faithful Israelite, as has been clearly demonstrated through all of the Psalms. Jesus, the one who was faithful to the Father and who gave true praise, the one who endured our exile on the cross for his namesake, has given us new hearts. Praise the Lord. He has shown His righteousness in the destruction of sin and rebellion in Christ. He is gracious and merciful, showing us love and kindness who did not not belong. He has sent redemption in Christ, freeing us from bondage to sin and death. Praise the Lord. Our last point is true praise is for the whole week. True praise is for the whole week passage reads in verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. Wisdom in the ancient world was like a handbook. It's a road map to how to live life. It was believed that if you had it, namely if you had wisdom, you could navigate all of the twisting roads that life would put you on. For fear of the Lord to be where wisdom starts is a great deal. I would propose to you this morning that true praise is fully expressed, fully manifested when it is done in the fear of the Lord. That is, when you look back at who He is, when we learn about Him and all that He's done through history and your life and my life, and all this, you, picture, you see a picture of an unmatched God who is beyond anything that we can comprehend. In fact, we don't even comprehend Him. We really just get caught up in Him. It's more experiencing Him than understanding. You see, like Isaiah, when we're caught up in Him, we stand and we realize We don't belong here. He's too good. He's too great. He's too magnificent. I am not. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Something has to be fixed, right? That realization that we should be on the business end of God's power, that's fear. The fear he's talking about is knowing what could be if it wasn't for Him. Knowing what could be of us if it wasn't for His righteousness, His faithfulness, His graciousness, His mercy. That's fear. I think about those videos. You know the ones where they show you like, oh, this guy trained this this lion from a cub all the way to adulthood. And he's been gone for 20 years and he's come back and the The lion's old now, and they open the cage, and the the lion and the trainer are in the pen. And you just see this thing, book it across. I mean, this thing's going so fast, you're like, okay, here comes the bloodbath. And that's not what happens. It's embrace. Fear of the Lord is understanding the only reason why we receive what we receive and we do not get what we deserve is not because of us. It's because He stops and He embraces us. He loves us. He brings us in and He calls us His own. That's the fear of the Lord. And when you live like that, when you know that, when you know how He relates to us and that it has nothing to do with whatever we're going to bring to the table, that changes everything. Just like the football fans, right? The way you drive changes. The way you go to work changes. The way you conduct business changes. The way you do a fight changes. And you still have them. All of that is turned upside down. It disrupts your day. It robs the spotlight of all other distractions. It catches you when you're in fear and reminds you of His power and, its might, and His might. Of the one who loves you. It digs us out of our sadness and it releases us to be free from it. We may not wear jerseys. But those of us who have been retrofitted with a new heart, we know one another because of the praise of the Lord. We can't fabricate that. You can't make that up. There's no pretending. Do you praise Him with your whole heart? Do you praise Him or do you praise His gifts? Do you see Him as all glorious? If not, it's not too late. But you must know Him first. You must know and settle the fact that He loves you right now as you are and not as you should be. Because Jesus was as you should be. You can praise Him, but you must know Him. Praise the Lord. Praise Him with your whole heart. Praise Him with His people. Praise Him because His name is great. He is righteous forever. He is gracious and merciful. Praise Him. He has redeemed us. Praise Him. With your whole week, praise Him. Please join and pray with me. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a work in us. Lord, there is, much on the ta- or there is much on the table here, Lord, and I pray we would feast for days. Lord, I pray you would do a work in all of us, Lord, that we would honor and praise you with all that we do. Here we walk and live in fear of you, Lord, knowing that you are good to us. Lord. And I pray we will see you and savor you and glorify you in all that we do. We pray these things in your name. Amen.